Section 33 of A Failure of Initiative. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary J. A Failure of Initiative. Final Report of the Select Bipartisan Committee to Investigate the Preparation for and Response to Hurricane Katrina by the United States House of Representatives. The Military, Part 4. Conduct of Coast Guard Search and Rescue Operations. Upon the completion of each mission and arrival on the ground at either the Mobile or New Orleans air stations, pilots briefed the operations commander on their missions, including the number of people rescued. Given the time constraints of performing rescues, the Coast Guard did not record the names of those rescued nor the locations where they were deposited. While the immediate life-saving measures taken by the Coast Guard crews were laudable, the failure to systematically communicate the location of the rescued citizens to local authorities resulted in some rescued persons being effectively stranded, lacking food, water, and shelter for extended periods. There was no way to confirm whether survivors would remain in these locations, and specific information concerning a number of those rescued was communicated to other entities, EOCs and other Coast Guard stations, whenever communications were possible. Within 24 hours of the storm, service operations, boats, were conducted out of Zephyr Field, a local professional baseball stadium. According to the Coast Guard, a unified command for surface operations was established at Zephyr Field with the Coast Guard, FEMA, and the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. A Coast Guard officer dispatched vessels. Crews returned to the site for food and rest. On the second day of operations, August 30th, drop-off locations were chosen by helicopter pilots and established at the Superdome, Lakefront Airport, the Cloverleaf, an area along I-10, the University of New Orleans, Zephyr Field, and New Orleans Airport. This information was communicated to the FEMA representative at Zephyr Field, who coordinated resources to assist survivors at each location. Notwithstanding this effort to coordinate, the handoff was not effective, leaving many rescued persons without sustenance or shelter for extended periods. In addition, as larger numbers of survivors were placed at each location, requests were made for larger Department of Defense and National Guard helicopters, including MH-53s, from the USS Bataan, and CH-47s, to shuttle them from dry land islands to locations accessible by bus for further evacuation. The helicopters began arriving on the same date. On August 31st, a Coast Guard liaison officer arrived at Task Force Eagle, the National Guard Command Center for Air Operations, at the Superdome. The National Guard also received rescue requests at this site, and tasking orders would be passed to Coast Guard helicopters that arrived at that location. The first heavy-lift aircraft to arrive at the New Orleans airport was a Coast Guard C-130. It brought water and food to the area on approximately August 31st, which was subsequently forwarded to Zephyr Field, the Superdome, and Air Station New Orleans to be distributed by helicopters on their return flights to flooded areas. The Coast Guard initiated this effort because it recognized that victims placed on higher ground islands had not yet been completely evacuated and required water and food, as temperatures during the day were nearing 100 degrees. Once again, the effort was laudable but fell short of the need, as some evacuees remained in distress. On the afternoon of September 1st, additional communications were re-established when Coast Guard Cutter Spencer arrived on scene in New Orleans. Spencer took tactical control of Coast Guard surface forces in New Orleans and, on September 2nd, established a vessel traffic system, VTS, to control marine vessel traffic in the area. The Spencer's communications capabilities include satellite, medium frequency, high frequency, and very high frequency voice and data communications, surface-to-surface -surface communications, and surface-to-air voice and data links. On September 2nd and 3rd, Joint Field Operations, JFOs, were established. 
in louisiana there were coast guard and urban search and rescue personnel at the state eoc in baton rouge before the formalized jfo was established a cadre of coast guard personnel from port arthur and others who had been evacuated from new orleans was already in the eoc handling search and rescue coordination by september twentieth the coast guard had organized and coordinated the rescue or evacuation of thirty three thousand five hundred forty four people at the height of katrina operations over thirty three percent of coast guard aircraft were deployed to the affected region despite coordination difficulties the coast guard's efforts were heroic and saved countless lives finding the army corps of engineers provided critical resources to katrina victims but pre-landfall contracts were not adequate the army corps of engineers usace or corps another active duty military unit provided critical resources to respond to Hurricane Katrina. The Corps provided relief and response support to FEMA in accordance with the National Response Plan as the lead federal agency for public works and engineering, emergency support function number three. Some of the Corps' specific missions related to Hurricane Katrina included providing water and ice to regional warehouses, providing emergency power, providing emergency roof repair, and removing debris. During Katrina and the aftermath, USACE provided 112 million liters of water, 232 million pounds of ice, installation of about 900 large generators, repairs to 170,000 roofs, and removal of a million cubic yards of debris. USACE had pre-awarded competitively bid contracts for all of these functions to allow quick deployment of resources prior to and immediately after an event. These pre-awarded contracts are part of USACE's Advanced Contracting Initiative, ACI, which has been in place for six years. Due to the magnitude of the destruction, USACE pre-awarded contracts for roofing repair and debris removal were not adequate, and additional contracts were advertised and awarded using shortened but competitive procedures. In addition, FEMA tasked USACE to provide structural safety evaluations of low-rise and non-public buildings in New Orleans and other locations. To date, USACE has completed assessments of 47,800 of an estimated 80,000 to 100,000 units. Given the large number of uninhabitable or unusable buildings, FEMA has recently tasked USACE with the demolition of buildings. To date, USACE is still developing estimates and conducting planning for the demolition mission. Finding, the Department of Defense has not yet incorporated or implemented lessons learned from joint exercises and military assistance to civil authorities that would have allowed for more effective response to Katrina. The Department of Defense participates in several command and control exercises involving responses to domestic emergencies, ranging from the combatant command level to the national level. In the past, these have included Northern Command Exercises, Unified Defense, 2003-2004, Ardent Sentry, 2005, Determined Promise, 2003-2004, Vigilant Shield, 2005, Diligent Endeavor, 2003, Diligent Warrior, 2004, Northern Edge, 2003, Scarlet Shield, 2004, Dark Portal, 2004, and Top Off, 2003-2005. Many of these exercise scenarios were designed to overwhelm local and state assets to evoke a response under the National Response Plan, including the employment of DOD assets. Hurricane Katrina was a test of the recently established post-9-11 United States Northern Command and its ability to oversee and coordinate the largest use of active duty and guard military in a domestic action in recent history. Although Northern Command has conducted numerous exercises with the National Guard and state and local exercises, the lessons learned during these events were not consistently applied to the military response to Katrina. NORAD, NORTHCOM Ardent Century 05, 
was the combined exercise with Top Off 3, conducted April 4th through 9th, 2005. The overall goal of this exercise was to conduct a joint service and interagency exercise that would provide realistic training opportunities for all agencies in incident management. Canadian Forces also participated as part of the North American Aerospace Defense Command, NORAD. Another objective was to plan, deploy, and employ DoD forces in support of civilian authorities' operations in accordance with the National Response Plan and DoD policy. The lessons learned during this exercise offered a preview of problems that would surface again during the Katrina response. Some of Northern Command's recommendations for improvement were as follows. Conduct strategic effects-based planning between DoD and DHS for each incident annex in the National Response Plan. Investigate requirement for integrated National Strategic Communications Plan and coordination with interagency partners. Develop national capability to electronically produce, staff, validate, approve, and track mission accomplishment of mission assignments. Determine requirements for a national common operating picture in coordination with DHS, Department of Justice, and other federal agencies. Top Off 2 also contained findings that, if corrected, would have enhanced the federal response to Katrina. From uncertainty between federal and state roles to the lack of robust and efficient local emergency communications and the need to improve data collection from military agencies, Top Off 2 findings were telling predictors of some of the challenges the military faced. Northern Command predicted in its Ardent Century Top Off 3 Master Executive Summary that this exercise success is due in part to scenario constraints that could provide a false sense of security and lack of incentive to initiate or aggressively participate in the integrated regionally based planning that is so essential just over four months later katrina struck after katrina dod officials reflected on the value of prior exercises mikhail commented the government training exercises have not been sufficiently challenging other Pentagon officials noted that in many cases, top officials from cabinet-level secretaries and generals to governors and mayors do not participate, and these simulations do not last long enough. The Government Accountability Office, in a November 29th briefing, also noted key players are not always involved in drills, the lessons from previous training and exercises are not retained, and the training and exercises are more targeted at terrorist events than natural disasters. The lack of implementation of lessons learned and the training necessary to learn them resulted in less than optimal response by all military components. Oxford Analytica took the following view. After Katrina made landfall, the NORTHCOM-led military support mission suffered many of the same planning failures, unclear lines of authority, communication breakdowns, and shortages of critical resources that were experienced by the civilian agencies, such as the Department of Homeland Security. Finding. The lack of integration of National Guard and active duty forces hampered the military response. Title 10 verses 32 verses 14, again. Coast Guard Vice Admiral Jim Hall, NORTHCOM. Advanced planning between active duty personnel and the Guard is vital, in contrast to the cooperation that unfolded during Katrina on the fly, albeit by superb leaders. Washington Post, October 13, 2005, quoting Assistant Secretary of Defense Paul McHale. In a speech on October 21st, McHale indicated planning by the National Guard was not well integrated with the overall military, and the Joint Staff did not have a grasp of the National Guard's plans. Interestingly, a September 14th email originating in the Joint Chiefs of Staff, JCS, offices commended the Bureau's efforts to provide operational information to JCS. McHale stated that National Guard plans were not well integrated with overall DoD plans. The Joint Staff acknowledged that the NGB was providing timely and accurate reports, but Northern Command was apparently more focused on active operations 
and therefore did not have a well-informed view of the significant National Guard effort in the region. The Joint Staff email went on to say that Northern Command's briefings are too active-duty focused and lack unity of effort. In the same speech, McHale said DOD did not understand how to integrate with the plans of the National Guard. The reverse was also true, despite past lessons learned. In the top-off three exercise in April 2005, it was clear the National Guard and the National Guard Bureau would be part of a large-scale emergency response. The New Jersey National Guard noted that, although top-off three began as an exercise with minimal National Guard involvement, it quickly evolved into one that heavily relied upon Guard participation and identified a need early on for assistance from the National Guard Bureau. At the time of Katrina landfall, however, the National Guard did not have adequate knowledge of DOD planning guidance developed at Northern Command, including concept of operations plans and functional plans for military support to civilian authorities. The National Guard After Action Report on Top-Off 3 found that numerous members of the Guard operational leadership did not have adequate knowledge of these plans. At an after-action meeting of State Adjutants General, the Adjutants General agreed coordination between active duty and National Guard in the response operation needed to be improved. According to the meeting report, there was a lack of coordination of Joint Task Force Katrina operation with the National Guard headquarters in the supported states. The National Guard Bureau also reported lines of command, control, and communications lacked clear definition and coordination between federal military forces and National Guard forces operating under state control, resulting in duplicate efforts. For example, elements of the 82nd Airborne Division moved into a sector already being patrolled by the National Guard. The meeting report also stated, Federal troops often arrive prior to being requested and without good prior coordination. This resulted in confusion and often placed a strain on an already overburdened disaster response system. A specific case in point was the Marine Corps amphibious units, which landed in Mississippi without transportation, requiring National Guard transportation assets to move them to New Orleans, increasing the burden on an already stretched support system. The National Guard 38th Infantry Division, composed of smaller Guard units from many states, reported they never formally coordinated with Northern Command. Members of the 82nd Airborne Division, the first active-duty personnel to arrive in New Orleans on September 3rd, had a similar experience. In a September 9th email, a soldier in the 82nd indicated coordination of evacuation efforts in New Orleans was very poor. We are conducting boat patrols using Coast Guard boats, but coordination is very difficult. National Guard seems to move in and out of sectors doing what they want, then just leaving without telling anyone. And this is in four days of operations. Despite the lack of integration in Washington, D.C. and in Louisiana, active and reserve forces worked well together in Mississippi. Notably, the governor of Mississippi did not request active-duty military assistance, relying instead on Mississippi and other National Guard personnel provided through EMAC. However, in the DOD effort to lean forward, Honoré contacted Cross immediately to offer any help needed, and remained in contact with him daily in person or on the phone. On September 3rd, Northern Command and JTF Katrina received confirmation from the Secretary of Defense that JTF Katrina was to assume responsibility for logistical operations in Mississippi and Louisiana in response to FEMA's request. All DOD operations in the state of Mississippi were conducted with Cross's consent. One of the most important roles played by DOD in Mississippi was the delivery of military stocks of food and water that started to arrive in Gulfport on September 1st. In his testimony before the committee, Cross noted, by the end of the second day after landfall, my intelligence reports indicated that the previously assumed flow of food and water was severely restricted. Many pre-planned distribution points were inaccessible, and many hundreds of people were stranded by floodwaters, blocked roadways, or lack of fuel for transportation. These desperate civilians were primarily observed by aerial reconnaissance in Hancock County. 
upon realization that food and water was not going to arrive by normal means in time, I offered an immediate airlift of food and water utilizing our helicopters and our rations and immediately requested through U.S. NORTHCOM an emergency airlift of military stocks of MREs. Within a day, massive amounts of MREs began arriving at Gulfport, just in time to be disseminated to prevent starvation. Almost 1.2 million MREs were flown into my position, thanks to the quick reaction of Lieutenant General Joe Inge of Northern Command. Air Force personnel and aircraft from the 920th Rescue Wing and 347th Rescue Wing, as well as Special Operations Command aircraft, arrived at the Jackson Air National Guard base the day after landfall, and along with National Guard, performed a search and rescue mission in the first days. The USS Bataan, the USS Truman, the USS Whidbey Island, and other vessels supported Navy and Marine Corps operations in Mississippi, delivering personnel, equipment, and commodities. The USS Bataan had six helicopters, one landcraft, extensive logistic supplies, and trauma medical capabilities that were used for search and rescue in both Mississippi and Louisiana. According to a September 1st email from Colonel Damon Penn, Mississippi's defense coordinator, a total of 19 active duty and National Guard teams were conducting search and rescue missions on the Mississippi coast. The Naval Construction Battalion Center at Gulfport was severely damaged during Katrina, and although most of the 800 Seabees were evacuated before the hurricane struck, remaining personnel and other Seabees deployed by the Navy helped with Hurricane Katrina recovery operations. Gulfport-based Seabees, who linked up with the National Guard at their Joint Operations Center in Gulfport, coordinated with the National Guard to clear roads and assisted in removing debris. The Seabees also set up logistics centers to distribute food and water and provide emergency medical services. Two active-duty CB battalions from Port Wenamay, California, their subordinate detachments from both coasts, and reserve CB volunteers joined those already in Gulfport, Mississippi, forming a total CB force of about 3,000 sailors by September 9th. The CBs were also joined by 100 Mexican Marines and 250 Canadian Navy personnel, who helped them work on FEMA temporary housing sites, nursing home repair, and repairs to public buildings, schools, and construction sites. On September 5th, 1,000 Marines from the 1st Marine Expeditionary Force, MEF, Camp Pendleton, California, arrived at Biloxi, and 1,000 Marines from the 2nd MEF, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, arrived at Stennis Space Center. These Marine units, commanded by Marine Corps Reserve Major General Douglas V. Odell, Jr., assisted in the transportation of large amounts of commodities, as well as providing personnel and equipment to assist in recovery operations in Hancock County, as directed by Cross. Without concern for service lines, and or title of authority, Major General Odell accepted the mission and executed all requirements until directed by his higher headquarters to move to New Orleans, Cross said. On September 8th, the USNS Comfort arrived in Pascagoula to offer medical assistance and facilities. Four days later, the Northern Command suggested to the Joint Chiefs of Staff that the Comfort be withdrawn because there was very limited usage, estimated at fewer than a dozen patients. According to Cross's response to questions by the Select Committee, the Mississippi National Guard maintained a very good relationship with DOD forces. Active duty units that responded always took a subordinate support role, and these units coordinated directly with the Mississippi National Guard Forward Operations Center. In Louisiana, airborne search and rescue was another area where National Guard and DOD integration was lacking. As noted in the National Guard Bureau's after-action report, National Guard and DOD active duty, as well as other helicopters, were conducting rescue missions over New Orleans with no pre-planning for command and control. The different helicopters had different radios and used different frequencies, creating a dangerous situation for mid-air collisions in an area with little or no air traffic control. 
Beyond the safety issue, National Guard and DoD active duty assets operated under their own tasking orders, which sometimes led to duplication. Search and rescue coordination problems are discussed in more detail later in this chapter. Another Louisiana example illustrating integration problems is the area of communication. The 35th Infantry Division, a National Guard unit, arrived at the Belshaus Naval Air Station on September 6th, and the 82nd Airborne Division, a DoD active duty unit, was to provide them with some communications support. Specifically, the 35th Infantry Division had forwarded its frequency and network requirements, and the 82nd Airborne Division was to provide frequency management support, providing specific frequencies to use. However, after the arrival of the 35th, there was still confusion over what frequencies to use because many systems were already using the assigned frequency. The 35th Infantry Division did not have the proper equipment to deconflict the frequency use and could not obtain it until September 12th, almost a week later. For more information on communications difficulties during Katrina, see Chapter on Communications. End of Section 33